Coming up on Garden Talk. A lot of people, they talk about, and I'm one of those people, is the harvest tastes green, right? It just doesn't taste natural. Why is that? When you're pumping your plant with the wrong nitrogen and it's producing excess leaf or growing too fast and your harvest comes out bad, well, it's because what the plant is doing, right, is producing more amino acids for growth and not the proper amino acids or peptides or proteins for flowering or flavor. Manganese. What? It's like... How much manganese do we use and why why is it responsible for over 300 enzyme coenzyme reactions why are we not making it more significant right if people are on well water well water for some reason always has a lot of sodium throw in sulfur in your soil it's going to help regulate your ph i'm just blown away by that right just one molecule it, it turns the ether into reality where you can touch it and i i'm fascinated with that What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Dog Podcast. This is episode number 28. In this episode, I interview Mark Bowell. Mark is the owner of Perfect Gardens, which is an online hydroponic store that has been in operation since 2009. He also has a YouTube channel where he uploads science-based horticultural videos to his audience of over 25,000 subscribers. In this episode, he talks about some of the essential nutrients for plants. He also touches upon what deficiencies and toxicities look like for those nutrients. And he created a full presentation with pictures for you to follow along. A link to the presentation is in the YouTube description section. So if you're tuning in on one of the podcast platforms, I recommend heading over to YouTube so you can access the presentation link. Big thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's podcast to help make that goal possible. Thanks to Dutch Pro for sponsoring this podcast. Dutch Pro products are now available in several countries across the world. For those of you that don't know, Dutch Pro is a plant fertilizer company that has base nutrients, additives, and pH regulators. They have different formulas of base nutrients for if you're in soil or if you're in hydro or cocoa. They also formulate their base nutrients for if you're using hard water or if you're using RO or soft water. I will leave a link to Dutch Pro's Amazon store down in the description section below. And you can use coupon code MrGrow10DP for a discount on their products. Spider Farmer is a sponsor of the podcast. Coupon code MrGrowIt5 will get you a discount on their products. They're most known for their LED grow lights, but they also have other products such as grow tents, inline fans, and carbon filters. I've used their SF1000, SF2000, and SF4000 LED grow lights in the past, and I got some great results with them. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer's Amazon store down in the description section below. And don't forget to use coupon code MrGrowIt5 for a discount on their products. Big shout out to AC Infinity for sponsoring this podcast. AC Infinity is well known to produce high quality products and provide excellent customer service. They have the thickest grow tent on the market today, inline vans with a controller that can automatically turn on and off according to specific set points. They have seedling mats, trimmers, drying racks, and several other products that you can use in your garden. I will leave a link to AC Infinity down in the description section below, and you can use discount code MrGrowIt during checkout for a discount on their products. All right, now let's get into the episode. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I'm joined with Mark Boltwell from Perfect Gardens. How are you today? 
Hey brother, how are you doing today? I just want to say thank you so much for letting me on the channel. I love all your content and I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. You have been requested by multiple people. And, uh, you know, when I went to your channel, like I knew about your channel probably about, probably about six months ago, I think, or something like that is when I first found out about your channel. You've been on uh, YouTube for a long time, longer than that. And you have some really detailed videos with, um, you get into like a lot of science. So um, I thought you'd be a great person to have on the podcast. And uh, we're going to go over the essential elements for plants today. Not all of them. You know, there's, there's a lot of them. So we'll touch on a good amount of them today. And then uh, maybe, maybe if the audience requests it, we can do a part two with the remaining elements. Mark did a, a full presentation. It's basically there's 41 slides, 41 slides. And that's what we're going over right now. If you're on YouTube, just go to the description section. It's, it'll be the second link down. I'll put Mark's channel link first, then I'll put the link to the presentation. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, any of the podcast platforms, I highly recommend that you go to YouTube and click on this presentation and kind of follow along with us. Because one of the things in here, as we get deeper into it and start talking about some of the elements, there are pictures, uh, pictures of what deficiencies look like, toxicities, and so on and so forth. So, But first, can you introduce yourself, kind of let us know a little bit about you and how you got into gardening? Sure, absolutely. Just before I start, I just want to encourage people to go down to the description and grab the link. I, I just like how just like how Chris said, I created a presentation with tons of pictures, tons of things that you could follow along with. And in the future, I will expand this presentation to other other plants, so you'll be able to do cross references with lots of other plants, and not just be specific to one. Okay, so just want to get into family history because I, in some level I think it's super important. Um, uh, anyways, to, okay, so Georgia's Boutwell created the IRS. Our family hired the first 4,000 employees and worked with Abraham Lincoln and himself. Um, we created the tracking system to uh, track the debt to pay, uh, to pay back the centralized banking system with the greenbacks. So moving on with that, my... Mother and father, Mark and Winnie Boutwell, they were migrant farm workers. They developed the systems and processes for harvesting, packaging, and distribution of lettuce in Monterey County from 1977 to 1989. Uh, production went from 1,400 pounds an hour to over 65,000 pounds an hour in, in only 12 years. The significant thing about that is the farmers, prior to this point, couldn't get past 1,400 pounds. And we're talking like a 70 to 100-year span, and they were maxed out. And th their thought process was, why, why try to grow more if they can't harvest it and sell it? So in addition to that, uh, a lot of the reason why we use chlorine on food to extend shelf life is because of my father. Um, it's also the reason why our family, through many conversations that we've acknowledged, um, mineral deficiencies in people overall because of what chlorine does through the microbiology on plants. So I think a lot of this presentation is going to go into the depth around science because it talks a lot about how all these things connect. After the, uh, During the 40-year family span, we also at one point were worth $35 million through construction, flipping and flip, uh, fixing and flipping long-term rentals from 89 to 2007. Uh, we opened up a family loan office and wrote over $3 billion in loans uh, to home, uh, homeowners from 2003 to 2007. At this point, I joined the military uh, to 12th Pararescue in 2005 after dropping out of college. 
and this is where it ended up really taking a twist and and us you know going heavy deep into uh, the the other types of industries. We actually lost thirty four point seven five million dollars in the real estate crash in two thousand seven two thousand eight. Uh, we used the last bit of wealth to open up Perfect Gardens in two thousand nine. At the same time, we started, operated, and got busted the largest indoor growth facility in the state of California from 2009 to 2012. Total operations spanned a thousand plus lights. Uh, the mushroom farm is what we called it, plus we rotated through between 35 and 70 minor operations, averaging 6 to 20 lights per operation. And I grow coached each and every one of these people until standards were met consistently. After that, so we, I started a Half acre grow from December 2013 to 2015, harvested approximately 5,000 pounds before being shut down. Then went on to develop a new industrial water extraction method uh, for large scale, large scale extraction, 1,000 plus acres. I uh, only went into the research and prototype phase, got shut uh, from 2014 to 2018, and then we completed the largest uh, hemp biomass transaction in the United States in 2018. That was 800,000 pounds from Oregon to Colorado. It was a $39 million deal followed up by a two-year lawsuit for unpaid commissions. So as you, can, uh, as you can tell, we've had successes and failures. What I can say is our failures have led uh, to other successes, so don't give up. Want to get into Perfect Gardens real quick? Our vision is can of farmers. I think can of farmers are going to solve uh, our world's ag problems. Our mission here at Perfect Gardens is we help you grow. Our values is integrity, putting the shopping cart back every time, sustainability, doing our due diligence, and pre uh, being present one problem, one solution at a time. Just for food for thought for everyone, think about who's growing and who's farming right now. We have grandmas, grandpas, community gardens, can of farmers, and then large-scale corporations. They grow 98% of the food, and they, they encompass only 2% of the population. Those average farmers that own all that land is their age is between 60 and 70, and they're one heart attack away from dying. I think the most unique thing about the canning industry is that we have created a very inexpensive way of testing the quality of these plants through testing the terpene profiles. And I think by cross referencing these terpene profiles, we'll be able to examine our ag growing practices and hopefully scale up healthier growing practices as the can of farmers take over the land in the next 10 to 15 years as obviously the industry collapses. So you have a real long family history here, uh, real extensive, and it goes way, way back. I mean, you started at 1862, and there's a lot of successes in there, uh, some major numbers, and you even included some uh, loss, you know, that, that tragic loss you had with uh, the real estate crash. But again, you had mentioned that, you know, you had successes and failures. You just got to keep on going, right? And after that big failure that you had in 2007, 2008, I mean, it looks like it even you had even a greater success, right? So taking a step, one step back, two steps forward type scenario. So that's really cool. It's really interesting. And, um, you know, congrats on all your success so far with that and, and Perfect Gardens, right? Uh, I went to that website there. It's a, a nice website. You get a lot going on there. So, yeah, thanks for that introduction. Um, let's continue on. I know the next thing up that you wanted to kind of talk about here that's on your presentation is the law of minimum. So you want to get into that a little bit? Absolutely. So there's two laws that I think are being overlooked dramatically and at Big Ag yeah, all the way down is the law of minimum. First one, 
Law minimum states that growth is dictated not by the total resources available, but by the scarcest resource. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you have all the minerals, the best lights, best sun, but you're not watering your plants. Well, at that point, that's the scarcest resource and your plants die. That goes along the same with trace minerals, macro minerals, light, temperature, humidity, everything. So the, that being said, Mark Twain said, whiskey is for drinking, water is for fighting. Just to give another example, if I may, um, please, you know, CO2 is one of those things. Mm -hmm. You could have your environment dialed in, um, your proper temperature, humidity, everything could be, you know, properly watered. It could have the proper nutrition. The lighting could be dialed in, right? But if your CO2 level is low, your plant's just going to operate at that level, and that's really the, the law of minimum, right? And again, another example would be you could have everything dialed in with the CO2, but say you, you don't have VPD dialed in, for example, right? The temperature, humidity, the, the leaf surface temperature, it'll operate at that, that lower level. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's something that we don't talk about a lot, much at all, really. So I'm glad you covered that. How about the law of tolerance? Absolutely. So the law of tolerance, and just to talk exactly what you're saying too, I think it's because everyone's trying to sell something, right? And so they're trying to market their thing as being the best thing versus encompassing everything as a whole and as an ecosystem. So let's get into the law of tolerance, exactly what you're saying. So the law of tolerance states that the law, a law stating that the abundance and or distribution of an organism can be controlled by certain factors where levels of these exceed the maximum or minimum limits of tolerance of that organism. So in the extremes, absolute minimum uh, or too much, you have zones of intolerance. Then because these plants are so, all plants are amazing, they, they want to grow. They'll do everything in their power to produce. I mean, I mean, just don't water a plant for a week and then come back and water it. You'll have it, it'll probably come back, believe it or not. Then you have your your zone of your tolerance range, right? Where you're, you know, you might just be kind of paying attention, watering every so often, and then you have your optimum range where you're you're caring about everything: drip irrigation, your, your microbiology. You're caring about your lights, everything you're saying, and that's your optimum range. The visual that you have here is 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 perfect. It provides a a great visual. pH, I think, is one that I kind of want to highlight and talk about for a second. I mean, it shows like an optimum range uh, for pH. So, you know, generally speaking, I think a lot of people what they go by for soil pH, for example, for the plant that we all know and love, is for soil pH. You're often said in between 6.0 and 7.0 pH. Now, that might be the optimum range, right? But oftentimes, they'll get growers that say oh, my pH is, I'm in soil and my pH is 5.8 or my pH is 5.7. I'm like, well, how does your plant look? Plant looks fine. Well, that just goes into your tolerance range, right? So that lower pH, maybe 5.5, for example, down as low as 5.5, is in your tolerance range. Now, you probably won't get optimum nutrient uptake. There could be some issues with slow growth potentially and so on and so forth. But having an optimum range and then that tolerance range um, yeah, I think this, this paints a, a great picture for a, a lot of folks. And I see temperatures in there as well. It's a, the same thing. So, yeah, I, I'm glad you put this in here as well. I think you gave great examples, actually. I mean, so thank you on that. I appreciate it. How about the mobile new? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. You. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so the next slide. The next slide, I think, is absolutely incredible. It, it, if you, and just to describe it, 
it's a it's a circle and it has tons of minerals. It's not all of them; it's just a, a, number, a few of them. And then I, what I'm doing is I'm showing how all these different minerals correlate, right? And so uh, this is the first time where I want to use some terminology where I think this, uh, many industries are throwing things out, co- trying to confuse people from marketing and to just capitalize on the ROI, and that's fine. But I, I want to you know bring you behind the veil in a sense. So. Every single time different minerals work together, that becomes a coenzyme production situation. I'm going to show you that in science. So I just every single time when I say bacteria make coenzymes, so so when I say that, or I say aids in activating coenzymes, think of this chart because it's going to it's going to explain. Oh wow, okay, so you know these minerals, all these minerals work together. You know, so I'm only when you flip your bottle back, you know, be in the back and you look at it. You know, and you only have MPK or you only have a couple macro minerals, think about this chart because what are you missing? Going into what you were just saying, um, mobile and immobile nutrients. So at this point, this next chart, if, if you didn't want to listen to the rest of this, uh, this, this podcast, which I highly recommend do so to geek out on it, but if you, if you don't want to, this chart, uh, this next one's going to really just break it down for you and make it super simple, simple to identify your problems or narrow it down to what, uh, what it most likely is. So there's three things I want you to absolutely remember. Immobile, mobile, and semi-mobile. So immobile nutrients will, if there's a deficiency or excess, it's going to appear in the newer leaves. And so why is that, right? So immobile nutrients is when the plant needs nutrients at one specific time and won't need it anymore. So if it doesn't have it while it's growing or producing, it's going to show up as an immobile nutrient because it doesn't have what it needs at that one point to grow properly. Mobile nutrient shows up in the, in the older leaves uh, first. Why? Because the plant can rob that nutrients from the older leaves and take it to the newer leaves to do its newer function, growing, flowering, producing, whatever that looks like. Semi-mobile is nutrients can actually show up in the older or newer. And sometimes it's finicky. Sometimes it's going to uh, matter on the pH, it's going and it's going to adjust. So just know that semi-mobile nutrients can show up in the older or newer. And as we go further down through the pictures, I'm going to show you very clear. Like once I show you the picture, you're going to be like, "Oh, okay, I've seen this." You know, just because we've all seen it, it just you you have to you. And there's so many so many deficiencies that look similar because there's secondary deficiencies that under, uh, underlying it that you, it's difficult to really identify. And, and when you, when you see over a million plants and a number of different, different plants from just, just one, you see a whole bunch of them, you see this deficiency, it becomes, Oh, it's really clear. Okay. This is what it looks like. So let's go ahead and get into it. Well, one thing I wanted to mention before we move on is uh, this chart right here, uh, I mean, it breaks it down between primary nutrients, secondary nutrients, macronutrients. It has the uh, symbol there. And then I assume that third column, correct me if I'm wrong, mobile or immobile. So for nitrogen, yes, as mobile. Or is mobile, yes or no, right? Yes. So you nitrogen, exactly. for example, and I'm sure we're going to go on this uh, on once we talk about nitrogen. But nitrogen is a good example. I think a lot of beginners would would um, come across a nitrogen deficiency and realize that the bottom part of the plant, the leaves are going to start to turn yellow from the tips moving up. And what's happening is it's, it's a mobile nutrient that's being relocated to the new growth. But yeah, I won't jump too ahead. I'll, I'll let you keep on going on there. 
No, you're perfect. Exactly how you're describing. And I don't want to, like you said, if if we stop at a certain point, we'll come back to it in part two. Uh, you know, I think the most important thing is just coming into that awareness part of yourself where you're exactly what you're feeling. You're like, okay, it's starting in the in the old growth and it's turning yellow. So the and and look at where it's starting at the leaf, and you're starting to really realize, oh wow, you know, it's it's robbing. You're taking it. You're starting to identify how it's showing up, whether it's showing up on the tip. Or it's showing up right where the, the the stem meets the 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 leaf because all these things will show small characteristics of what's what's happening within the plant and like they say it's like like an animal whisper right but you become a plant whisper and it's just because you're you're seeing these commonalities so thank you for actually pointing that out uh, that's very helpful actually so next slide two ways to fix uh, fix most of the problems okay so we're gonna keep it simple again rest again most of the slide is about geeking out this the how to solve my problem is that's what most people are concerned about two ways flush the plant ph it and restart or which most people don't talk about is balance the minerals and that goes into play at the law of minimum and the law of tolerance okay so let's dive into the first one nitrogen and I want to talk about the nitrogen cycle because I'm, and this one, it, it, it breaks down the chemistry really well, but I want you to use this as a, as a mental template as we talk about calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, and all these other ones, because there, there are many different chemical manufacturers out there that make other types of chemicals and, and then they market it as nitrogen or phosphorus or whatever. So I'm going to show you right here by science how science uses nitrogen, how it, how it changes the molecular structure. And then I'm going to show you how there are other nitrogens that come up in this industry or other big ag industries. And why are they putting that nitrogen in there when there's, when there's the, the natural nitrogens that are fertilizer that they can synthesize and sell that are just as available and relatively close to the same price. And I don't know why they do it, but it is what it is. All right, so the nitrogen cycle. So there are five parts of the nitrogen cycle. There's a nitrogen fixation, a simulation, a modification, nitrification, and denitrification. So nitrogen fixation is basically when the nitrogen gas and let's say electricity bolt or electricity uh, fires off ends up uh, turning, uh, it ends up electrifying nitrogen and it turns it into uh, nitrogen dioxide. So it goes from N2 to NO2. Okay, so then when that's electrified, it combines to water and then becomes nitric acid, so NHO3. And so that entire process is nitrog uh, nitrogen fixation. So then when it comes down to the ground, the plants can actually take up the nitric acid. That's why things uh, things turn green right after if you're, uh, and, and all that stuff. People know what I'm talking about when I, when, if they watch the, the mountains or the fields after a rain. So that nitrogen acid, though, when the bacteria get a hold of it, the bacteria will begin to convert it over into ammonia. And so ammonia is NH3. Okay. And then as it gets assimilated into the plant and the bacteria can continue to keep converting it, it turns into ammonia, ammonium, which is NH4+. And then as the plants take, uh, take it up and die or animals die, the fungi actually hold on to the ammonia and convert it into nit nitrites and nitrates and sl slowly release it back into the environment. So as the plants take it up, it's assimilation. As the plants die, uh, it's a modification. And as the fungi hold on to it and, and slowly release it back into the environment, it's nitrification. And then as the 
forces burn down or or evaporation happens, then that is denitrification. So these things go back up into the environment. So that's the complete cycle. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but you pretty much explained it here is that the, the plant can uptake multiple forms of nitrogen. And that's one thing that's kind of unique about nitrogen from my understanding. So the, the NH4 plus, I think you explained that they're able to uptake and then the NO3 minus the nitrate is what they're able to uptake. Is that correct? To my understanding, they're actually able to take up three of them. Uh, okay. And this, this is what the this is what the fertilizer industry tries to replace uh, for this process. So it, replace, it tries to replace the fungi and bacteria because the fungi and bacteria do the conversion, the enzyme, the coenzyme um, reaction process, or cation or anions. And we're going to get into that later. The the terminology of that stuff. Um, but basically, the fungi and bacteria do these conversions. And so what science does is it removes the fungi and bacteria uh, conversion and it does it, it does it for us. And you, you'll actually see right over here, and I'll go into the next slide before I go into these the other nitrogens that this the industry uses. So let's just go real quick into nitrogen. What is nitrogen? Because I think it's described isn't described properly. So nitrogen is the building blocks of amino acids, peptides, and proteins. So amino acids, peptides, and proteins are mainly uh, main, are made of organic compounds. So what are organic compounds, right? Organic compounds are carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and sulfur. Those things are, are I think, become really interesting for me uh, at this point because because in science, uh, in science uh, for human beings and plants, there's actually a disconnection of what are, what are, when, when amino acids become peptides and when peptides become proteins. And so for, for me, I've had to do, uh, to, um, create my own terminology or my own definition, basically. And so amino acids are basically within one to 10 you know, uh, individual acids. And when they, when they come together, they, uh, more, they will become peptides. And so those, those are creations of, again, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and sulfur. But then when they be combined to a mineral, that's when they become a protein. And so that's my definition. That's something that reading all these different things and all that, all that stuff, I, I feel like when it be, binds to the minerals, that's when it actually becomes a protein. So, in the nitrogen cycle, there are seven chemical structures, uh, structures nitrogen goes through, and we talked about that, N2, NO2, NHO3, NH3, NH4+, NO3 negative, and NH2 negative. My question is, why does the ag industry use 4-plus nitrogens outside of the natural, natural nitrogen cycle? You know, so they, they're putting stuff like ammonium nitrate, ammonial nitrogen and urea and there and a number of other different nitrogens and in other videos i show you a whole bunch of different nitrogens and those are in h4 in o3 in h3 negative in and co in h2 to the second power so i'm not going to do that every time but i'm what i'm really just trying to show you guys is that there are all these different types of chemical structures, and there's natural chemical structures that na nature goes goes through that that the these chemical companies can actually use these, or you can just go to the store, look in the back of the bottle, and, and see what the chemical structure is. And if they're not using the natural nat uh, chemical structures, put the bottle back because it's only going to destroy the microbiology. Let's so nitrogen. Nitrogen is a mobile nutrient. We already talked about that, so we we won't get too heavily into the 
uh, into it, but we, I do kind of want to explain a little bit around excess, right? So if you're giving too much nitrogen, why is that? Because they're using urea, and so what does nitrogen do? It, it's amino acids, peptides, and, and what, is, what does amino acids and peptides are, are meant for? They're meant for the growing part of, of these things. So, why, so that's why the stem will elongate, and that's why the stems will become weak. And it's actually the reason, in many cases, why we sell this industry uh, sell so much bamboo and support uh, equipment is because of the chemical. It's actually, it's like solving the problem because not being thoughtful where the problem got started. Right. And so we start to create other solutions to, to minimize, uh, minimize that problem in a sense. We're talking about too much nitrogen. The plants get really dark green. I mean, to the point where it's fake and you, you can tell, I mean, it just doesn't look good. And then a lot of people, they talk about, uh, and, I'll, and I'm one of those people, is the harvest tastes green, right? It just doesn't taste natural. Why is that? It's because those uh, in, in the beginning, they're using a whole bunch of nitrogen. And I'll show you in the chemical structure, the whole bunch of nitrogen in the initial amino acid um, coenzyme process with the bacterias where to to grow right but then when you when you do when those nitrogens and those organic compounds combine to the trace minerals the smaller minerals later they're used later in the plant and so and they're using totally different ratios so that's why when you're pumping your plant with the wrong nitrogen and it's producing excess leaf or growing too fast and your harvest comes out bad well it's because what the plant is doing, right, is producing more amino acids for growth and not for the proper amino acids or peptides or proteins for flowering or flavor. And that's why a lot of people are, are they say they flush at the end of the cycle. And I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but like um, it kind of opens up a can of worms because there's going to be so many people that say, oh, flushing is pointless. And then there's going to be people that say flushing is a must, you know. And I think you hit the, the nail on the head here, the excess nitrogen. And I did, I know there's been studies that came out and actually did a video on a study that came out on flushing. And one of the things that I had said as kind of my thoughts is that I like to see that fade in the leaves. I like to, I like to see that senescence, mm -hmm. um, you know, because mm -hmm. I've, I also felt like I've had plants where it had excess nitrogen in it and I did have that taste. So I personally do look for that fade to happen. Now, whether or not I have to flush the plant, it, you know, it depends on if I'm seeing that fade or not. But, um, yeah, I I'm glad you brought that up as far as the harvesting, tasting green due to excess nitrogen because I personally felt like I I've encountered that before. I, I actually love you brought the, the whole flushing topic up for just a second because it's really funny, right? You have, you have a polar complex going in the industry from flour to extracts, right? So, uh, and this is everything. It's, it's, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're in the sugar industry or whatever, you know, it's about harvesting and then packaging up as tight as possible to sell it to the end consumer to be reinfused into other products and, and sold even again. The, the, the point to this is that the fleshing process, and I really loved what you what you do with that because it actually helps me even think a, a little bit more about it. And when and I and I don't know if you thought about this part, right? So when it, when you take the end product and take it to the extraction team, what what was their issue with it, right? 
too much chlorophyll in the extraction process, which made the extraction process much more intensive to get to that end product as well. So when you are using, when you're flushing, you're actually starting the degradation process of the plant earlier. And, and in, in addition to that, the plant needs nitrogen up to the point, uh, to the end of flower to keep doing the amino acid reactions to, to produce terpenes. So there, there is, and the damage that was created through using the wrong nitrogens in the beginning, it's already been done. You know, it's like the relatively the product's going to, I don't want to say the product's going to be bad. It's just the product, the, the, the plants didn't have the right nitrogens to produce the right coems and reactions with the other trace minerals and, and not enough time was there to produce those other terpene profiles right so you're, you're kind of hitting it on both sides you're hitting it on the on the on the nitrogen forcing it to grow which you're getting more starches and more of that and then you're also hitting it where the the plant doesn't have uh, the other trace mineral co uh, coenzyme reaction time to to get to the point where it's capable of producing the higher terpene profiles super interesting for sure so we'll go into the next one. So I, a lot of people go right into the NPK, NPK. Nope, I'm going into the, the building blocks of the plant. So the next one is the benefits of sulfur. Sulfur is another organic compound. A lot of people are just going to say this stuff. You'll see this stuff on the internet, and right here we're going to explain it. So the amino acid, uh, form it helps with amino acid formation. So we're talking about those five organic compounds needed for amino acids and for peptides, and then when do they become a protein is when it, it attaches itself to the other minerals. And I'll show you this in a little bit later. So enzyme and vitamin development, we already talked about that law of minimum law of tolerance. So I think this is also a big marketing thing. Everyone's saying fulvic acid, fulvic acid, humic acid, humic acid. Well, fulvic and humic acid are normally composed of amino acids bonded to sulfur. So that is getting behind the veil, you know, so don't go, don't get caught up in, and and where where this plays a part is where they ex where where they ex got their raw materials and when they where they did their extraction. That's where it makes a good humic or fulvic acid product is where their their initial raw material is is starting and their extraction process. So sulfur helps uh, complete incomplete in, incomplete chemical reactions, uh, whether by nature, so using meals like bone meal, blood meal, or a synth synthetic chemical. So if you are this, this is where again, if you have, are growing outdoors and you amend your your soil with a little bit of sulfur, and you're using a, a man-made nit nitrate, that sulfur is actually going to help with the chemical reaction to revert it back to a natural uh, natural nitrogen. It just takes time and, and time is with short crops is, is not good. Sulfur lowers the pH in, so, uh, in soil. So tip here, if people are on well water and well water for some reason always has a lot of so, uh, sodium or anyone that is tapping into water with high amounts of sodium, throw in sulfur in your soil. It's going to help regulate your pH. Sulfur is needed in seed production and photosynthesis, photosynthesis for the nitrogen fixation, right? So this is now where it's getting a little more complicated or complex in the whole chemical reaction part. This comes into play when you balance the sulfur and nitric acid equation. You end up needing a lot of nitric acid to balance one molecule of sulfur. During this balancing, uh, the bacteria have time to convert it from ammonia in H3 to ammonium nitrogen in H4 plus. So the amount of time it takes for 
the nitric acid to become stable is the same amount of time it takes for your uh, bacteria to com uh, to convert it. So, uh, tip here: this is where mycorrhizae fungi are beneficial in soil to increase sulfur uh, sulfur content because fungi holds onto sulfur waiting for rain. That is why you will see mushrooms right after rain, and it's why your fungi colony is so important. It's a semi-mobile nutrient, so we'll, uh, look to the newer, later, older growth. Again, go to the go to the presentation. You're going to see pictures that it's almost impossible for me to describe. Uh, although you're, the it's it's it, the lime green is just so clear when you see it um, that it's it's just going to pop out at you. So go to the slide. And check out the pictures. It's one of the best ways I can recommend to do so. What do you think about it? Yeah, and, and you guys can thank Susan for not allowing us to post the pictures on <laughs> YouTube. She, uh, Susan's the CEO of YouTube. Uh, it, it would get flagged and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, these pictures you have on the slide, I mean, pretty straightforward. You see it on the newer growth there. The yellowing, it looks like it's coming from kind of like the, the, the stem there upwards uh, to the tips so you can clearly see yellow and then the green on the tips. One more additional tall tale is there, there are three deficiencies that uh, have purple characteristics. And sulfur is one of those purple character, uh, one of those deficiencies which creates a purple characteristic in the stems, veining in the stems. A lot of people don't notice it, but it's one of those things where a lot of people are like, hey, do I got a purple strain going? Yeah, when they're actually running into a deficiency. Purple stems, I mean, that's, that's a whole can of worms there. I know there's so many different reasons for that. I heard nutrient balances was another reason for that. Um, but I, I haven't heard that uh, sulfur in particular, which that that's pretty interesting. Well, you just said it right there, a nutrient imbalance, right? And sulfur is a, 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 does compa uh, organic compounds, amino acids and peptides to create uh, proteins, which are later used. In the also, plant. cold so, temps is another thing. If uh, mm -hmm. I know when I cold temps or if you like water the plant with cold water like under i want to say like roughly 65 degrees fahrenheit or lower than that like overnight like the next day you can see like it's not just like a straight up purple stem the entire stem but it's kind of like streaks you'll see streaks of purple so if you see the streaking at all you can probably contribute it to either low temps or low water temp giving it to it so i think that's worth mentioning they're actually causing a, a plant deficiency in that moment and um, and I'll explain that in one of the other deficiency slides. Okay. Yeah, it's really funny. You know, when you I, I was caught up in the same thing, right? It's like, oh, throw on the ice, and I'm and then I'm thinking like, whoa, we're growing way too big. I cannot recommend all my growers to 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 get all this ice and put it on the plants. This is does not make sense. And then you start digging into the thought process behind it, and you're like, oh, actually, I'm creating a plant deficiency right here, and it goes. And we'll, we'll go into it in a few minutes. Um, benefits of phosphorus. So phosphorus, root growth, flowering, and seeds, uh, seeding. Why? So photosynthesis collects uh, the sun and carbon dioxide to produce ATP, right? So adenosine triphosphate plus oxygen. ATP will attach itself to three phosphate groups to become a sugar. So right now we're talking about amino acids, peptides, proteins, and this is when it becomes, in my viewpoint, a protein. Uh, so that science is a C10, H16, N5, O13, P3, and this is a coenzyme reaction. People might argue with me on when I'm using this terminology properly. Again, I didn't go, I didn't read the books. 
I've at all. <laughs> I, I just, I get curious and I start reading lots of different people's perspectives. And then after you read thousands of words, you kind of formulate your own thought process to it in a sense. So, um, plants release the O2 and store, uh, the energy in the form of sugars, uh, glucose in the root system, which later combines with amino acids to become AKA exudites. So that's another, um, terminology in the industry that I think a lot of people use, although it's not really understood the connection, right? Between photosynthesis and when it becomes exudite and that when it becomes exudite is when that sugar attaches itself to other amino acids which again become an exudite, which stimulates root growth and bacteria and fungi development. In it stores the energy in the roots for night uh, for nighttime growth. Obviously, nighttime growth is optimal for plants to grow, and and roots are the storage, the battery for them. In my in my how I look at it, photosynthesis gets shut down dramatically without phosphorus, and we explained why why ATP and the triphosphate groups and all that. So deficiencies, phosphorus is actually another one that has purple characteristics, uh, different from magnesium and sulfur. So those are the other three phosphorus, magnesium, and sulfur have purple characteristics and deficiencies, purple pigments in the leaves, uh, mixed uh, with, uh, with the green any time prior to the two weeks of harvest. This is like, everything's obviously I'm saying is not like keystone. These are these things where in, in, in my years of, of growing and, and grow coaching, I had to be able to go into a room very quickly and identify the problem and get out because I had to go to the next operation to identify their problems and go on and on. So I had to be able to see certain things. And, and this was one of the things. So whenever I see purple pigmentation two weeks from harvest, I was like, this is too early for autumn, autumn situation to happen. So I would, I would start to be like, okay, this is, this is kind of a, a, a tell that lets me depict what type of a deficiency I'm having. This is caused by accumulation of sugars that produce uh, anthocyanin. Uh, followed by necro uh, necrosis of the leaves, similar to calcium deficiency, although five times worse. It's a mobile nutrient. So where do you want to look for a mobile nutrient? Bottom of the plant, right? Older leaves. Older of the leaves. Older of the leaves. Exactly. Great job. I'm trying, I'm trying to, you know, and if, as I go through this, I encourage you to pause the video and then before I answer it, put your answer in, be like, I think it's this, you know, and, and, and just go along with it. Just, just who cares if you're wrong? So phosphorus is. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I know with phosphorus deficiency, I've, I've come across this multiple times. It used the Fox Farm nutrient lineup, for example. And mm -hmm. in their lineup, I know there's some nutrient lineups that they come with excess phosphorus. And there's soil scientists that say, hey, some of these bottled lines, they have excess phosphorus in it. And it's going to lock it out. In reality, that nutrient formula probably should just be changed so it has less phosphorus. So it doesn't lock out, for example. Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't an excess of phosphorus that locked it out. But maybe it was not enough phosphorus. And also, I know that there's some nutrients, I don't have them memorized, but there's some nutrients that lock out other nutrients mm -hmm. if there's an excess of them. I'm not sure if you cover that in this presentation. I don't have them memorized. I have a couple of them memorized, but not a lot of them. But I know phosphorus can get locked out due to excess of other nutrients as well. Well, we're going back to that, the, the first two laws, law minimum and law of tolerance right there. Yeah, I don't, I straight up guys. I don't know all this stuff. I have to go back to my references. This is why I make notes like this. So I don't have to remember. I nowadays don't have the best memory probably because of the medicine, whatever, but, it, but that's why I take really diligent notes so I can go back, share it with someone else and they can, they, and we have the confidence together that 
that we're solving the problem together and we, we, we can reference it in, in other ways because that's, that's the, the situation with growing, right? Is you have a, a certain amount of time to do your best to bring in that crop. So it doesn't matter about being the guy. It matters about solving the problem and bringing in the harvest because some farms, they have a, a lot of micro microeconomics around them with, with employees and taxes and all that other stuff. So it's important that that crop comes in on time and in line with your values. Great point. The so this is the purple pigmentation, right? And that everyone's seen it. It's it's so clear and it looks like autumn. It looks like autumn, but it's not. And you and you you'll notice it. Benefits of potassium. Um so aids in photosynthesis and food formation. Helps convert sugars into starches. So this is also another big thing. So we, we talked about nitric acid. The plant takes it up a little bit there. Then it, we talked about the amino acids, and we talked about it converting into ATP and sugar. But the plant actually only can use a little bit of that sugar. It actually has to convert it into starches for later use. And we're talking about the batteries in a sense. So the starches are stored in the root system for long-term use. Increases root growth and improves drought tolerance by building cellulose and reducing weak stems. So when you put your hands on the on the plant, that's cellulose. Okay, and so so just like anything, uh, think about going over to the beach with a really thin cooler, right? And you have a very thin cooler. Well, all the ice is going to melt fairly quickly, but you have a really nice cooler that's that has a great insulation layer. Well, your your ice is going to be in there just about all day long. And you'll be able to feel, you know, refreshed throughout the whole day. And that's the same thing with this plant. By building that, ter- uh, by the building, the, building up the cellulose, the plant's able to not evaporate as much, as much water away on hot days. It maintains turgor pressure, uh, reduces water loss and wilting. So turgor pressure is the pressure of the water within the cells. And yeah, so more water pressure and, and you know, it's going to fill up and it's going to stay in there versus once again being evaporated away. It increases protein content of plants, which are organic compounds, amino acids, bonded with minerals in water. Okay, so with more turgor pressure and and less uh, water being evaporated away, the plants are uh, the the plants are going to have more time for other coenzyme reactions, right? But if the plant's constantly having to refill up its tank. Well, it doesn't have enough. It, it doesn't have enough time to do more coenzyme reactions. So this is that 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 process where that's what photos, uh, potassium helps do. This is why water the water system is the blood transportation system for more coenzyme production, and it's how potassium aids in activating at least sixty other coenzymes being produced. So we go back to the law of minimum, law of tolerance, that chart where you see all the minerals working together, right? Well, when you have water and time, you have time for that coenzyme reaction to happen. With more coenzyme reactions happening, um, the plant's able to achieve its true potential. Helps stop the spread of crop disease and nematodes. Well, nematodes come because of stagnated water, right? So if you have more water retention and you have more minerals in the water, the water is going to stay healthy and it's going to be able to fight off disease. Potassium is a mobile nutrient. So where are you going to look for the mobile nutrient? Older leaves. All right. I love it. Okay. (laughs) So 
I'm not, I won't keep doing that to you. I was just I paused yeah. for a minute so the audience could think about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll keep doing it then. I'll keep doing it then. Um, okay. So the next one, potassium. Oh, this is just so clear. Again, we've seen this so often. It, it corrosive starts on the upper half of the leaf. I, it, it is, it happens over and over and over. And, and all I want to do is just take that one leaf off. Yeah. Like get rid of that. Like, I don't even want to see that. Defi- I don't even want to see that. Why is that one leaf dying? Right. But it's, it's showing me signs of what the rest of the crop's going to grow through. And if I pay attention to that one leaf, I'm going to be saving myself through deficiencies later through a crop. Everyone's seen it. Go to the presentation and see it. Once you see it, you're going to be like, oh, wow, I have probably have a potassium deficiency in my, in my grow room right now. One thing I do want to mention that relates to sure. potassium is it's potassium. One thing I do know is, is we talked about relationship of nutrients. Potassium and calcium are antagonistic. And basically what that means in, in simplified terms is they kind of work against each other in a way. I guess that's the easiest way I can, I can explain it. And a, a scenario happens, somebody posts on my forum, mrgrow.com slash forum. If you want to ever want to post pictures of grow, you have questions or whatever, you can head over there. They had a calcium deficiency. And one thing I had mentioned is, hey, what part of the, he was in late flowering and he started getting calcium deficiency. And I asked him what his nutrient regimen was. And he was loading in, he was pumping in a PK booster. Right, so phosphorus, potassium. So he actually had an excess of potassium that caused calcium deficiency. Mm-hmm. So that that was super because he was he was feeding CalMag normally like he would. He's like, why do I have a cal- why do I have a calcium deficiency if I'm feeding it in? It was because he had excess of potassium. So I thought that was worth mentioning at this point. I, I, and right, what you just said there too. I won't dive too much into it, but that, that is a question and something that bring is brought up in the topics is like a lot of people are like oh should i not use calcium magnesium uh, toward the end of flowering right and so th- to each is their own and mpk and that's what we're discussing right the k and the k is known for flowering and so right there you're just saying the potassium and the calcium are co- contra- contraindicated in a sense at times so and when is calcium used right calcium is used you know, what is calcium out we, we didn't get into it but calcium is an immobile nutrient so it's used in the initial construction of the plant so as you get into the flowering process why do you need to construct more of the plant you, at that point you need to allow that that the other coenzymes to to take place because at this point the immobile nutrients you need other immobile nutrients to start to start um, doing the job in the plant not the calcium in a sense I was going to say I wasn't going to get into it, but then we got into it. So, oh well. <laughs> um, magnesium. I think I, magnesium is. I love this topic. I think this is one is where it was when I when I finally got my head around. I was like, right. It was just like, okay, I get it. I understand. Um, so, chlorophyll reduction in the green blood. Okay, so chlorophyll production is the green blood of the plant. I always like to use certain terminology that hopefully creates a, a connection to your soul in a sense, right? So you have red, uh, red blood and then you have green blood and that's the chlorophyll. So hopefully you, you, you have a deeper connection in a sense. Magnesium gives the green color. So the, the center of the chlorophyll molecule is magnesium. So let's jump over to the, uh, to the magnesium molecule. So we have 55 carbons. So that's an organic compound. 72 hydrogens, another organic compound, four nitrogens, another organic compound, five oxygens, and then one magnesium. I'm just blown away by that, right? Just one one molecule, it it turns the ether into reality where you can touch it. And I'm fascinated with that, okay? And, And 
Uh, so anyways, so, uh, so phosphorus mobility. So it talks about phosphorus mobility, and we already talked about ATP. So this is also where, and, and iron utilization, we're going to get into that in a second, but phosphorus mobility and iron utilization goes into the law of minimum, law of tolerance again, right? Where when magnesium is able to do its job with the chlorophyll, the ATP is able to do its, its function. And then, again, we'll get into iron in a second. Fruiting and, and maturing. So if you want to use a rock-based magnesium supplement, uh, look for uh, lingtonite. It's um, potassium, sulfur, and magnesium. And look, right, this is, how, this is how these minerals are combined together in nature, naturally. That's where, again, I'm fascinated with that, right? You have these things in, the, in nature. It's like, okay, this is what you need. Use it, and this is everything you need for this stage. Or you can use Epsom salt, which is magnesium sulfate. Both of these will actually still help. Uh, help and they will not interfere with your microbiology. Okay, if you get out, and we're talking about the different chemical structures, there's other chemical structures than magnesium that the, that the chemical suppliers try to sell you. So again, look to the back of the bottle and look uh, look at what type of Epsom salt or magnesium is in there, and, I, and look at magnesium EDTA. That's uh, that's a new that's another chemical structure for an example. So magnesium is a mobile nutrient. So where are you going to look for the the deficiency? Older leaves. I love it. All right, so it's pretty. Magnesium actually shows up in uh, as a secondary deficiency quite often. Uh, I in times it, is, it was actually difficult to find a really great magnesium only deficiency, but I was able to find one picture. Um, you know, it normally will show up with a calcium deficiency or something, and that's or a sulfur deficiency, and that's why you'll have different products where it's a mag sulfur or magnesium calcium product fused together. The magnesium sulfate can be used as a foliar. I don't think a lot of people know that. So mm-hmm. it'll kind of hit your plant faster in a sense if needed. So if you are coming across a mag deficiency, consider magnesium sulfate as a, as a foliar feed. Absolutely. I love that. Any, you know, that's where you get the, we were talking about, we were talking about earlier, right? What is the most unique thing about the canna industry, right? Is the, is the, we have developed an inexpensive testing process to test the quality of this product. And if we are, are, uh, take time to actually go back to the growers that are, are getting 4% terpenes on the plant and ask them what they did, we're going to be able to identify you know, their growing practices and how we should probably start to implement those growing practices into large-scale agriculture. Because the terpene profiles you only get to, and I hate to use the word only, but I'm going to, and you can unsubscribe to my channel because I used it, whatever. <laughs> but the only way you're going to get to the highest 4% terpenes and, and above that on the plant went through the testing is with all your micro, microbiology going. Plain and simple. That's my viewpoint. I All the all the growers I've known that have gotten into the top 10 on the on the, on the the testing, on the, on the different types of competitions out there, when I've gotten an opportunity to talk to them, they were all in the microbiology direction. They weren't just in the chemi side. So, okay, so let's go ahead and get into iron. Iron is for chlorophyll formation because of ferrotoxins. And ferrotoxins are iron sulfate protein uh, found or peptide, whatever. Well, this is iron, right? So we're t- uh, now we're talking about it, it connected to a mineral and an organic compound. So we want to call it a protein. So iron sulfate protein found in the chloroplast the site of photosynthesis. 
And you can look at the picture where I'm showing uh, or is in the presentation. Ferrodoxins also play a role when balancing the nitrogen and the and reducing the sulfur. So then in the, in the nitrogen fixation and assimilation process is when iron and sulfur uh, sulfur come together. So we're law minimum law of tolerance again. When balancing the equation and uh, when balancing the equation, it increases oxygen because when you balance the equation with sulfur and nitric acid, the final math it and I won't get into the math, but basically what it means is you have one sulfur, six hydrogen six nitrogen and 18 oxygen molecules. And that's why your oxygen content will increase when adding in iron. So we're talking about a trace mineral. So if you're making, if you're making your, your, if you're using like the vortex uh, thought process and you're agitating your water or just putting a bubbler there and agitating your process, well, we're talking about the oxygen carrying capability of your water even. And so uh, by having the proper trace minerals in your water, which I'm always talking about a product called drops of balance. It's an, it's, it has 34 plus trace minerals and it's the foundation of sulfur, uh, of how the, all the minerals are, are placed and makes it water soluble. But going back to the slide, cell division and growth is because of chlorophyll. Uh, this is why I, I consider iron, the father and sulfur, the mother is because you have cell division, which is, you know, production and then you have growth which is the nurturing process this is how i'm able to, i try to remember the minerals and how i create a, a, a healthier relationship with my plants and the you know and the minerals that i'm using to feed my plants and then one day feed my body tip bone meal is a great source of nitrogen and iron for soil growing because the bone uh, because the blood cells are the exact same chemical makeup of chlorophyll except the center molecule is iron. So it's 55 carbons, 72 hydrogens, four nitrogens, five oxygens, and one iron molecule. And that's why bone meal uh, has, has iron supplement. Iron comes up and shows up as a, at times as a sulfur deficiency and it looks at it. How I would encourage you to look, uh, look is at the tips of the leaves. You'll, yeah, at times you'll see green uh, in between the yellowing as well. And once again, go to the PowerPoint presentation. You're going to see a really great example and you're going to see within the leaf there's spottiness, right? You're going to see some really nice green and then you're going to see the yellowing and it's not going to be like a nice flow of lime green. Um, once again, go to the, go to it. You'll see what I mean. You see it, you'll, you'll be able to identify it from that point on. One thing to mention that I want sure. to add, particularly for new growers that don't know this is new growth is going to start as yellow and it's going to turn to green. So oftentimes, and I get this a lot with beginners, they will, their lights will just come on for the day. And then they'll open up their tent and they'll look and they'll see, oh, I got a iron deficiency or I have a sulfur deficiency because it looks kind of similar to where there's yellowing starting at the base and then going up towards the tip. So they think that they have an, some sort of deficiency when really like an hour or two hours later, all of a sudden the, the leaf is green there. So new growth like overnight, for example, when your lights are off, it's not producing that chlorophyll to make the, the, the leaves green. And it just takes a couple hours for that to happen. But... If you just turn on your lights and you see what looks to be an iron deficiency, just remember that new growth is starts out as yellow and it should turn to green within a couple hours or so. And again, we go, we, I love that you said that, right? It's because the plant's growing faster than what, uh, than, than what it can produce on other coenzyme production. Right. So that's, and because iron is a semi-mobile nutrient, it's able to keep moving 
and key uh, to the newer growth as 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 it grows and that's exactly what you're describing right here so i love it calcium calcium that okay so benefits of calcium formation of cell wall and, and cell membrane builds soil structure when you use it builds soil structure when you use seashells or bone meal uh see and just to elude uh give more marketing it's either seashell you if you're using seashells uh limestone diatinaceous earth those are all the same exact thing okay chalk there's just different marketing names to sell them in, under different industries and yes there's some binders and different look to the process the how they're processing their their material that's that's the key to getting a great a great source of material of anything this feeds the microbes uh, which holds the soil together calcium nitrate is a is a synthesized chemical that I actually would be fine using. It's NHO3. And if you go back to the nitrogen, um, if, if you go back to it and you see where it's derived from, it is limestone derived from nitric acid. Okay, so limestone I'm good with. Nitric acid is the, is the acid in the nat natural nitrogen cycle. So I would use calcium nitrate. And I, there's actually a brands I'm going to recommend at the end of this, end of this um, video that have been very thoughtful around this. They Even if they're using synthetic fertilizer, they're actually using fertilizer only in the natural um, pathway that microbiology converts their stuff into. So give you another example. Calcium glucohydinate is a synthesized chemical, will not feed microbes, and in fact will shut them down. So that calcium, if you that type of calcium is actually in a number of bottles in, that you that you buy on your shelf, and I'm not going to slander slander some of the brands right now, but um, I want to. So uh, cri uh, critical for activating certain enzymes. Law minimum, law of tolerance. Tip: Use dolomite lime for soil to help prevent calcium deficiency. Uh, calcium is an immobile nutrient, so look to the newer leaves to identify deficiencies in excess. Calcium, we've all seen it. It's it's yellow, uh, yellowish brown, irregular spots, uh, and you're you're going to see it as a like again as the plant is growing. You're right, is because it's an immobile nutrient. It needs that as the plant is growing, and it needs it dramatically less at later into flowering. Is like what we talked about earlier. The thing with the calcium is it. Again, it goes back to strong cell walls, right? It, mm -hmm. If you come across calcium deficiency in flowering, you're going to get some floppage, right? You're going to, mm -hmm. the plant's going to be flopping over, especially if it's got those big flowers on there. Uh, I, it's happened to me before and it's not fun. Oh, excuse me. It's not fun to uh, try to get them up for support. So calcium is super important. Uh, just going along with what you're saying, like I, I grow coach clients literally all over the world that they this is all they got this is all they you know it's for some reason this is what they buy and i don't want them to go buy more stuff and i and when i look to the back of the bottles and i look at the the nitrogen they're using whether it's your urea or whatever this is when i would highly encourage them to make sure to be adding in the calcium because that plant's going to be growing quickly and they need the other fertilizers to to do those other functions that they're growing or like we said they're going to get weak stems or whatever so as i'm as i'm grow coaching people it doesn't matter really what they're how they're growing i always encourage them to go the microbiology direction but if they don't i'm also tailoring them on their base nutrients how they're growing and other additives to use at certain times for very specific reasons on on because of the chemicals they're using great point so benefits of magnesium 
And th this is where I, I get incredibly fascinated, right? So as, as I go through these slides, you're going to see that the enzyme uh, coenzyme reactions start increasing more and more and more. But it's mag manganese. What? It's like, how much manganese do we use? And why, why is it responsible for over 300 enzyme coenzyme reactions? Um, why are we not making it more significant, right? And this is, again, how we get to the, the higher health or potential of these plants is because as we get more into the trace minerals, like all the foundation of the plant, if you notice it, is, is created for is to transport the trace minerals. So why are we not putting more energy into what the plant is actually asking for almost the entire time? So manganese aids in more than 300 enzymes uh, that regulate the human body and plants. Law of minimum, law of tolerance. Without manganese, chlorophyll cannot capture sun energy for photosynthesis. Capturing light. What is light? Light is harmonic frequencies. So magnesium is the receiver. So plants are listening to music all day long. Proof, plants like music. Just a correction, manganese. You said magnesium. Oh, thank you. I, 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 I do that all the time. I always switch these stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I do that again, we are on manganese, not magnesium. Perfect. <laughs> plants uh, interpret the music they are listening to by the trace minerals activated with coenzymes designed with the DNA RNA code that are stored in the leaves. And I, I'm going to repeat this one more time because I think this is so incredibly important. You know, light, uh, light, when light hits the leaves, it creates a prism, right? And, and when it reflects off, what is that harmonic frequency? And, and, and minerals are, minerals are gemstones. They are, they are, they are the prism that the light reflects through. And if your plant doesn't have all of the trace minerals that, that are, you're capable of providing to the plant, that prism is going to be, isn't, isn't going to be a full spectrum in my viewpoint. And the, and, and, and the, the light intensity and all the different types of light that come off the sun is crazy intense. Like we only see this like tiny, tiny little, little speck of spectrum of that, that we can see when light, when, when the sun is actually like, uh, let me go back. It's like, that big, you know what I mean? And, and we only see this little amount, a little amount. And so I'm always thinking, you know, with all these trace minerals, is the, is the, is the plant capable of capturing all these other, a number of other light spectrums that the, that the sun emits because the sun wouldn't emit those, those spectrums onto our earth if it wasn't for a purpose. You know, I'm not trying to get in religion or any of that stuff, but I do in some level think that we're in this divine system that is created for us and everything has a purpose and every single time someone tries to to dismiss us or dismiss our 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 reason for being as just being random i don't even want to talk to that person <laughs> so whatever um not whatever but you know my point moving on <laughs> i I wonder what phosphorus, and this is my point to this, right, is I wonder what phosphorus and calcium sound like to microbes. Trace minerals actually play a larger role when, uh, when we are, uh, than what we are led to believe. I don't know if you've ever talked about Emoto's work on water and holding energy. No, I haven't. Emoto's work on water is all about capturing the energy that, that we emit off of our bodies when we're saying love or we're saying hate 
and the energy and the water actually has the ability to capture that energy and what he does is he 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 says this words or he plays certain music right when the water is going to the freezing point and then he looks at the water underneath the microscope and he's shown over the last two decades all the the different uh crystalline structures that the water forms through different energy we emit off of it and not to go too far into his uh to our ancient history um but you know the waterways in india all throughout the world actually uh in the strewn structures where they're having water going through all these pathways a lot of these ancient structures actually have words like love or appreciation going through their waterways which is very interesting to me so minerals are electrons protons and neutrons can we admit that uh, can we agree to that yep okay so buddha said we uh, can experience 108 human characteristics characteristics being emotions emotions are energy my hypothesis is that there is one mineral associated with every human emotion we're capable of interpreting on this human plane so my theory is that there is 108 total or, uh, organic compounds slash minerals um, and our and as our technology gets more sensitive we'll be able to discover them and right now we're roughly around the 90 range uh, so going back to manganese, so manganese is an immobile nutrient. So look to the newer leaves for deficiencies and excess. Uh, manganese, one of the best ways I think it is it, very often. I think people will be like, oh, I'm dealing with the calcium deficiency, but it, the, the, it's different. Like the spots appear different on the leaf than a calcium deficiency in my viewpoint. It's just, it's just a slight, I don't know. It's just slightly different. And when you look at the picture, you're going to see exactly what I mean. And you're like, oh, yeah, I noticed that. I know exactly what it is. It's definitely mistaken a lot for calcium deficiency, that is for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. I've come across magnesium deficiency just a small handful of times, to be honest. Uh, one time in particular that I can remember is being cocoa. And mm -hmm. my pH was a little bit too high. And, you know, we have those pH ranges where nutrients are uptaken at different pH ranges. And it was just out of that range. And so I saw a manganese deficiency. So, yeah, this picture I think is, is pretty good. You can definitely, looking at this, you can kind of see that there is a clear difference between this and calcium deficiency. Because, uh, yeah, there's like a little bit of yellowing in there as well, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, just what you're saying, also, I've actually noticed my, uh, this deficiency come up more when using the Fox Farm line. I don't mean to slander it, but... Again, I grow coach. I, this, this line is around the world. I've made at least 30 videos on Fox Farm, and you can read all the all the threads. I got a couple growers that wanted to use up their nutrients, ran to this issue. So um, that being said, let's move on. All right, moving on to the next one, which is copper. Benefits of copper. So copper is a metabolic catalyst, and so it actually helps speed things up. That's all a catalyst is. So it helps the catalyst of photosynthesis and the respiratory and that is why it increases sugars i think this is where a lot of the industry thinks that sugars is in part it is part of it but it, they think that they 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 want to provide sugars to increase the taste and that's actually not how you increase the taste so when you, you know, when you add in more cane sugar and other stuff you you're you're jacking up your your uh, your bacterias and you're shutting your down your your fungi and that's also goes back into the law of minimum law of tolerance this is actually how i actually know if the nutrient line knows what they're doing is when they're in when that when i see them saying higher higher terps or something like that and i turn to the back of the ball and they have copper in there i'm like okay 
this nutrient line kind of knows what they're talking about because copper aids in, in enzyme production. All bacteria are capable of producing different coenzymes for every mineral that exists in the soil. So you have billions of bacteria, uh, millions of fungi, and all those bacteria can produce different coenzymes. What do copper enzymes do? They intensify color. Why? Because uh, with more minerals that uh, become bioavailable, more of the music can be interpreted by the plant. Involves uh, improves flavor. Flavor equals terpenes because with these uh, these specific coenzymes, your plant can now produce a higher terpene profile. Copper is a semi-mobile nutrient, so it's going to appear in the newer before the older, and it's very distinguishable. Look at the picture. I mean, you'll know. You'll know what I mean. And this, and this picture, you they're even going through a nitrogen deficiency with it, in my opinion, because of how fake the green is. And even when you look at the, the flower development, it is underdeveloped. And, and, when, and I'm probably looking at a seven-weeker right there. Yeah, probably seven Do you mean weaker. nitrogen toxicity? Nitrogen toxicity, thank you. Okay, not yeah, you deficient. Nitrogen yeah. deficiency, yeah, nitrogen thank toxicity, you. like you mentioned before, the dark green mm -hmm. leaves, I see that as well. And then you can see the outer edges yellowing to the chlorosis there. So, yeah. Exactly. So we didn't cover all of the essential nutrients here in this video. Uh, definitely want to save it for a part two uh, if the audience demands it. If you demand a part two audience, uh, we'd love to have you comment in the comment section below let us know you want a part two because we've i think a little bit less than half the amount of essential nutrients we covered mm -hmm. today yep. um, so we have we could really do a part two and cover potentially the remaining uh, amount of essential nutrients so if you want to want a part two let us know down in the comment section below yeah let's move on to uh what do you got next okay just a solution to the problem and this is the one product i would actually say it will be is a game changer i i can almost guarantee you will not find another product like this in the industry i know you've heard that before yeah 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 but i'm guarantee you you will probably not find this uh this product out there twenty five thousand dollars have went into verifying the science of what this product does and it's called drops of balance and so we'll go back to the law minimum real quick it states that the growth is dictated not by the total resources available but by the scarcest resource and we already gave uh, the example, right? You can have all the minerals, but if you don't have water, your plants die. Uh, same thing goes with the trace minerals. Of course, we have the basics, water, light, all those other things. So what is going to create more coenzyme reactions, even if you're not using microbiology? And it goes into the trace minerals, the things that people are not discussing, because the science isn't there really to, to and the technology isn't there uh, to, to create sensitive enough uh, technology to actually identify the minerals and and their compositions. It's really interesting. The science actually is, we Japan is 15 years, 20 years ahead of us on water science. So drops of balance. Uh, drops of balance is 34 plus negative ionic trace minerals, sulfated trace minerals. It cleans over 2,500 plus man-made chemicals, so it reverts them back to man uh, sulfated minerals. Uh, and that's at, at, at a 4 ml rate for drinking water. Um, I'm going to talk to you guys clearly if you're going to use this for growing. It's at a rate of 1 ml per gallon. So let me say it again. For growing, is at a rate of 1 ml per gallon. So the 8-ounce bottle will be good for 240 gallons of water. The 16 is for five, 480. And the 32-ounce is good for 1,000. You need more than, more than that, hit me up. 
And yeah, let's go into the next one. Law of tolerance. The law stating that the abundance or distribution of an organism can be controlled by certain factors where if levels of these exceed the maximum or minimum limits of tolerance of that organism. Once again, going back over into the, the, the chart, I circled the some just a couple of the ones we covered today. Look at all the uh, the other ones we didn't, and, and this is just a very small list of the minerals that we could, so we can actually create a part two, three, four, and this is where <laughs> I want to put, <laughs> put a lot of my energy next year into. The approved brands by Perfect Gardens is Gaia Green. I love their brand. I love their processing, uh, how they extract. They're thoughtful around what they do. I like their brand. Earth Dust. Nectar of the gods, down to earth, drops of balance, NPK nutrients raw if you're in hydroponics, recharge, extreme gardening. They make a great product on extreme gardening, the Azos and the Mycos. They're simple to use, throw it in, and I've always got great products off of them. Anyways, there's a few other lines that I do like, but for now, I think that's about everything. Awesome. Well, Mark, you were really the first person in this podcast to put together a presentation like this. This is phenomenal. This is okay, great. Cool. A lot cool. of details. We touched on so much. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a viewer favorite for sure. Thank you for your efforts there. Tell us, where can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Well, you can find me definitely at YouTube at perfectgardens.com. I really, my goal is to get to one grower at a time and seed their thoughts with, uh, seed their mind with healthy thoughts on growing practices. So I'm, I'm really not putting my attention to large scale anymore. I think it's the wrong direction of this industry and where it's going. And I think because of the collapse and all the land that's going to become available, I think the best place where I could put my time is with a one-on-one basis. You can also find me on perfectgardens.com uh, where you can buy some of the materials. You don't have to, not necessary. And also hit me up at admin.com. If you, if you do want consulting on a larger scale, I do offer it. I just am very selective with the corporations and where I put my energy and time to. Also, please like, share, and subscribe. That's super helpful, guys. I have made 400 videos up and a fourth of them, no, even more than that, are demonetized. But... I, I genuinely enjoy giving away the free information because I don't have to get caught up on, on, on trying to s sell stuff to survive. Took the words out of my mouth as far as liking it, subscribing, cool. if you haven't already. I will leave a link to Mark's YouTube channel down in the description section below. Uh, and yeah, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave a rating and review. We're coming up to 100 ratings and review, or actually I think we just passed 100 ratings and reviews. So thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review. And don't forget to share this podcast. If you know somebody who would benefit from this information, share it. There has been a lot of people that are sharing on Reddit lately. Thank you for that. Facebook groups, forums. There's just so many places we can share it. And thank you to everyone who shares this podcast. Mark, once again, thank you for coming onto this podcast. Uh, this is something that I'm going to be watching over and over again um, because of the information here, there's just, there's so much of it. So thanks. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. And have a great grow, everyone.